blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all for the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. I'm Alex. Alex, welcome back to the show. Welcome back. Yes, uh, I think the last time we had you on, we were talking taps. Is that right? Yep. Uh, I, I can see the theme. Yep. Uh, with boarding school. <laughs> Yeah, uh, which you discussed as a very personal thing for you, and we'll probably get a little bit more into that for this one. Uh, but remind everybody at home, you know, uh, who you are. Um, so yeah, I'm Alex. Uh, I'm a 39-year-old proposal writer living in Wisconsin with my wife and seven-year-old son. Um, I've been listening to you guys for five years now. Um, I'm a kind of a kid at heart, which is one of the reasons I love revisiting things from my childhood. And uh, yeah. Like I said, I've been watching, I've been listening to you guys and love it every time. I like to think of you as our first fan, because I think you were the first person to ever reach out to us who who we didn't know. Yeah, we bring that up, uh, I think, I think each time, but it's worth bringing up each time yep. because, yeah, you, you sent us an email. Like, one time John finally was like, hey, we finally got an email. <laughs> you said it to us, and it was it was wonderful. You really kind of seemed to connect to the show, and we appreciate that. And I'm pretty sure almost everything I had on that email saying, oh, you should do this, this, you guys have covered. Uh, yeah. A few exceptions, <laughs> but overall, I think you've covered almost everything. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Um, well, today, I mean, as a patron, you get to pick, and you're joining us for an episode uh, for the tier that you were on, and we are going to be talking... Dead Poet Society, Captain N, the Game Master, and then we're going to be casting basically Captain N, but like Nintendo characters, uh, actually ones that John and I had not cast previously, so totally different Nintendo Cinematic Universe. So uh, we'll go into kind of each of those as to what they meant while we go into it. Very excited to talk those. Couldn't be too properties <laughs> further from each other, I'm not going to lie. There's no theme here other than you, <laughs> which <Yeah>. is fine. <laughs> Totally cool. All right. So Dead Poet Society came out in 1989. John, what else happened that year? All right. The Billboard Top 100 single for that week was a song called Rock On by Michael Damien. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Then I just needed that spot. Yep. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, topping the Nielsen ratings was the show Roseanne. It was on a bit of a tear at this point. Yeah, it really was. Uh, there's quite a bit around here that it was kept hitting number one. So, okay. Yep. Uh, around this time, a company called Bullfrog released a, a game called Populous, and it was the first commercially successful god game where you kind of controlled everything. Is that like Sim City kind of stuff, or sort sort of like sort of like that, where you kind of you're in charge of everything, that sort of thing. Okay, you have a bit of a god complex. Have you played that one? No. Okay. <laughs> I think those games, you know, there's actually strategy to it, but you end up just you know killing all everyone for for the right. hell of it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the New York Times bestseller was a book called "While My Pretty One Sleeps" by Mary Higgins Clark. 
1989 was the first Best Hard Rock Slash Metal Grammy Award, and it went to Jethro Tull. Woo! For that That's hard, nice. hard rock <laughs> flute. Well, Lizzo rocked that flute pretty hard. I'm not sure if Jethro has ever rocked it as hard. Well, Jethro Tull, sorry, it's not a person. <laughs> it's a band. But, right. okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And who, who, do you know who else was nominated by Chance? Metallica? And they were the favorites to win. And as they probably should have. They probably should have. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. that was 1989. All right. Well, Jethro tolling it up. I love it. Uh, let's see what Mr. Keating would think about Jethro Toll. Right, Dead Poets Society, 1989. This film was directed by Peter Weir. Uh, he also directed The Truman Show, Master and Commander, a few other things. I remember seeing Master and Commander in the theater, and I fell asleep. It was so fucking boring. Like I've never seen it. It's so slow. Same. It's so slow. Some, it. some people love it, but yeah, I say skip it. Uh, this film was written by Tom Schulman. He also wrote Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag, if you guys remember that Joe Pesci film. Uh, what about Bob? Um, he won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay for this film. Also, something that Alex can probably connect with, it was based on his own experiences at the Montgomery Bell Academy in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, particularly with his inspirational teacher, Sam Pickering, uh, as a bit of an inspiration. Uh, so tying into that, Alex, we know from the TAPS movie that you said that you talked to us about you went to boarding school so is that one reason why you had a particular connection to this film but in general also why are we talking dead poet society uh so yeah this one is less about the boarding school but more of um i i chose dead poet society because i went to college to become an english teacher uh, and and i'm sure this movie had some influence on my decision uh, plus, it's it's just a fantastic performance from Robin Williams. So that you know that influence and my you know desire to be a teacher, I think that is one of the reasons that I always gravitated towards this movie. Fair, I think he probably inspired a generation of teachers with this one. Yeah, uh, music for this film was done by Maurice Jarre, uh, who also did the music for classics like Lawrence of Arabia, Doctor Zhivago, Top Secret. Uh, which is <laughs> equal classic. I mean, that that's a classic. Yeah. Fatal Attraction and also Ghost. So some okay. really great films there. Cinematography, I want to call out John Seal. We talked about him when we discussed The American President not too long ago. But he also filmed Gorillas in the Mist, Rain Man. And then much more recently, uh, one of the more beautiful films I remember seeing and more interesting, Mad Max Fury, Fury Road was his cinematography. Oh, wow. So really cool stuff that he did. And actually, there is, and I'm going to point out, particularly it's one shot, um, but like the whole shot, the whole film uh, looks very good, but there is one shot that stands out intensely to me, um, which we will get to, and I'm sure he was a big influence on it. Uh, the cast for this film, John Keating, played by Robin Williams, who we know from Mrs. Doubtfire, Hook, Aladdin. Prior to this, I'm trying to think, had he done anything dramatic before this role, or was his... Or Awakenings, you know, Awakenings. When, yeah, when was Awakenings? I think that was 87, actually, thinking about it. Um, and this was 89. But I, I really do want to know because um, I'm looking at it right now. And so I'm stalling so I can pull up my IMDb. <laughs> because this was definitely one of the earlier dramatic roles for Robin Williams. Uh, Awakenings was... 
1990. 90, 1990. So this was before that. So this was probably one of the earlier, um, if not the first, like, real uh, dramatic role that um, Robin Williams had. So very interesting. And he nailed it. He actually got a, um, uh, he was nominated for Academy Award for lead on this one. Good morning, Mm -hmm. uh, Vietnam was 87. Oh, yeah, and that is, you know what that is? That's, I'd say that's equally comedic and dramatic. He's got both in that one, and you're right. Yeah, yeah he he did a great job on both of those. Yeah. So, uh, Neil Perry is played by Robert Sean Leonard. He had a big role in House, um, mm-hmm. but he was also in Much Ado About Nothing and he did a few different things. Todd Anderson is played by Ethan Hawke, uh, who was in Training Day, uh, Moon Knight, and John's favorite movie, Gattaca. <laughs> he hates it. <laughs> yeah. We 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 did talk about him when we talked explorers way back. We, yeah, that was oh man, that was a way that was a long time ago. Forgot about yep. that one. <laughs> uh, Knox Overstreet, I think, is just the most fakest fake name of all time. Knox <laughs> Overstreet, um, but he was played by Josh Charles, uh, who I remember best from Sports Night. But he was also in The Good Wife uh, recently, in a long run on that show, and also in the, the his first role was in Hairspray. Uh, the John Waters film, which I actually love the John Waters version. I'm not as much of a fan of the musical, but I really like uh, the John Waters one. So Charlie Dalton is played by Gail Hansen. He hasn't done too much else. And actually, he shifted from acting into becoming a studio exec. So he, you'll see he, a lot of his credits are much more um, executive centric. Uh, and then Richard Cameron, I want to call out, was uh Dylan Cussman in some small parts. And then obviously uh, another very recognizable actor that John and I have talked about multiple times um, is Neil's father. Just Mr. Perry is his credit. Kurtwood Smith, who was in RoboCop, that 70s show. And he was in one that we were just talking recently, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. He was Uh, an Oscar. He was an Oscar. Yes. Yeah, he was one of the cops in Oscar. Yeah, but so. everyone was an Oscar. <laughs> oh, there's a, yeah, not kidding. Man, that was one of the ones that kind of surprised me. You know, I, from some of the people who were like, oh, man, this is one of my favorite movies, or I love this one. I'm like, oh, my God, this is just, I don't, I, one, I didn't remember anything about it. And then it's like, you know what? It's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. All right. Uh, Dead Poets Society had a budget of $16.4 million and the box office of $235.9 million. That's a hell of a success. Mm. Even with, um, you know, the uh, dramatic plot and everything, I feel like with that much success, a studio would still try to make a da- damn sequel out of this thing. You know, <laughs> it's hard to do it, but uh, that, I mean, I'm surprised when I saw, when I saw the two in front of it, that's, that's a massive success. So good for it. And one interesting thing I wanted to call out was apparently in Taiwan, the film, Mr. Holland's Opus was marketed as the sequel to Dead Poet Society, and it was renamed Dead Poet Society 1996 in Taiwan. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know how to respond I, to that. <laughs> apparently, they saw some connection or some kind of marketing ploy for the Taiwanese people who maybe they couldn't tell the difference between Robin Williams and, and Richard Dreyfus, or they just felt that it had similar enough things and it would make more money if uh, Taiwan thought it was a sequel so that is particularly interesting that is so weird <laughs> it is so all right i, I want to go we're going to go around the horn on this one and uh, alex we'll start with you 
So I remember you you said you remember seeing this film, but like, you know, around what age or like, you know, what what kind of circumstances do you remember when you first saw this film? I'm pretty sure I was in high school at some point, you know, sitting in, in the barracks and in our common room and we had it on and I watched it. And, you know, like so many people, I had that inspirational teacher who I was like, oh, my gosh, I, I could I love that teacher. This teacher reminds me of her and I could be that teacher mm-hmm. one day. So I think it was probably in you know, the late 90s when I first saw the movie. And I, you know, I, I watch it every every couple of years um, when we when we used to still have cable, it would be on TNT from time to time. And I would I would always just stop and watch it. Do you have a shout out to, uh, you know, one or two of your most favorite inspirational teachers? Uh, the, the most insp- inspirational teacher was an English teacher by the name of Candace Kane. And she actually went by Candy. Um, ah. yeah, uh, not a stripper though. Can- oh, for candy cane. Ah. <laughs> uh, and she was, uh, she, she was my Latin teacher and my English teacher. And she was the one who got me in really interested in, in reading and reading books and, and fantasy. Think, so, yeah, I think I got a lap dance from a candy cane one time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Totally different probably story. Not Pro- the same, yeah. Probably not the same person. Probably not your teacher. Probably not, but you never know. Uh, all right, John, what about you? What do you remember from dead poet society? Uh, I can't remember exactly when I saw it. It had to have been sometime either middle school or high school. I don't think it was one that we watched around the time it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have been nine years old. This movie would have done nothing for me, but it definitely would have been one that we saw, or at least I saw a little bit older, maybe middle school, high school. I just won't be able to pinpoint yeah. when that happened. And and actually, you know, I, I agree with you. It was probably yeah, around for your high school or your middle school, which I do think we all saw this at some point, either together as a family or mm-hmm. something. And so if John was that young, I was five years younger. And so I actually remember, you know, being fond of this film to an extent, but not really understanding much about it. And I would right. say, honestly, I don't think I had the appreciation for the film because I saw it so young. So, right. Yeah. So uh, let's get into our scene by scene breakdown. We start off with the boys are all at boarding school. Um, there's an introduction or induction ceremony that's happening. We meet Mr. Keating, who was just starting. He's taking over from somebody who either retired or died or something. And we just kind of can tell and we hear uh, by these old white men uh, how prestigious this school is it's a very prestigious school i want to call bs on some of the things that he was saying so he was saying well (laughs) he's like 51 students graduated last year okay sure Mm -hmm. first off how expensive is that school for such small classes to be able to afford Mm -hmm. such a campus he said 75 percent go to ivy league schools that's like 39 38 39 students there are eight ivy league schools so that's about five students from this one school per Ivy League. No, I don't believe any prestigious school <laughs> would want to want several students from the same school. They want to spread it out. So I call BS. I love how <laughs> you mathed the shit out of that one right there. I love that. <laughs> yep. There's well, there's calculations on my notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> They're definitely trying to impress the audience at this point. Um, as to how how important this school is and you know like it, everything about it so uh, we meet a new student Todd Anderson um, he's starting uh, his junior year there uh, basically his older brother was a student 
Um, we find out he is rooming with this guy, Neil, and we meet Neil's other friends. And uh, then all of a sudden, Neil's father comes in and his father, Kirkwood Smith, great intimidating actor. I want to say mm-hmm. he, he plays this kind of role wonderfully. And he wants Neil. This is the weirdest thing for me. You know, you you both are fathers. And, but granted, you're not that kind of father. <laughs> He's terrible. He, you know, he wants the best for his son, and he thinks the best for his son is following whatever he says. Uh, but Neil has no issues with his schooling or anything like that. All of a sudden, the, the father decides, you're doing too many extracurriculars. You're going to cut out doing the, the paper. You're not going to do this anymore. Um, and so he just, he's just massive overbearing parent. So... For me, I hate him um, because I can envision having that kind of parent. I still, you know, I can't really connect as a parent itself. But for the two of you, how do you feel seeing that kind of person, you know, who is in his parenting style? I mean, I I don't get it because, again, as you said, he doesn't seem to be having any issues keeping up with his studies. Mm-hmm. So why take something creative away from now i'm very positive towards things that are creative mm-hmm. in fact i generally encourage it i don't really i'm the parent who doesn't give a shit about the academic part <laughs> hmm. it's like are you, are you making at least you know are you making a b's and c's in math english all the other stuff yeah okay fine that's that's you know c's. that's you know if if, if you know if my, my, if kids my niece have, and nephew are making c's john you tell me i'll whip them into shape <laughs> that's pretty sad i made c's in my report i can't I can't complain, you know, not a lot. That's the difference. I was mostly, I was mostly A's and B's, but like I had a few C's, mostly in the subjects that I struggled the most in. Oddly enough, uh, uh, not geography, geometry. I had a really hard time with geometry for some reason. Algebra, I was all A's, but geometry, I was like a C student for some reason. That shit never clicked with me. Proofs are a pain. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I'm all for like doing the creative. In fact, I like, I, I break my back to make sure that they're able to do some of the extracurricular stuff. In fact, mm-hmm. um, just today, this morning, since we didn't record this morning, I took both of my kids to a batting cage because they're doing baseball, my daughter for the first time and my son for the first time in a long time, and they're rusty. You know, like they don't, they're, the mechanics are not there. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, let's go to a batting cage and let's throw some pencil for an hour. I just lobbed pitches at them. Because they needed the extra time, so I'll I'll go the extra time for that. But if you ask me to have, have, uh, help with uh, math homework, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Alex, what about you? I mean, do you have any? I mean, you you I I, you know, I don't know uh, obviously much about your childhood life growing up like I do John's, but you know, and how do you how do you connect or disconnect with uh, Mr. Perry? Well, you know, I, I do. There are some things I understand in that you don't want your kids to be overburdened with too many extracurriculars because maybe you know you do want them to focus a little bit more and not just be be too spread out. Um, I know as we as the audience are supposed to to see him as as his hard father, but I think there is a softness that show he actually truly cares about Neil. And throughout the movie, there are. There are beats that show that this is a man who is not rich, who has probably, you know, probably came, you know, has worked very hard to give his son all these advantages. And so while, yes, he is definitely very hard and very, you know, just really harsh on on Neil, I think that part of that is in response to 
the kind of childhood he grew up in. So he's just going to the complete extreme to make sure that Neil gets the life that he never did. Um, but mm-hmm. of course, it's part, you know, a lot to the detriment of, of Neil. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it would be. All right. Uh, the next day, they begin classes, get a little montage of that. And then we start Mr. Keating's class. And he obviously is a different type of teacher. He walks out of his little like back office area straight past the kids and out the main door and pretty much says, oh, are y'all are you guys coming and invites them, you know, outside into the hall and he tells them about, oh, Captain, my captain, the Walt Whitman. You see that he is humorous. He's passionate. He pushes this idea of carpe diem to seize the day and really kind of has them. You know, we get I think this very I like this little shot here of all these as they have the kids look at all these old dead people that are in the hall. And he emphasizes, listen, death is inevitable. We are all here for a limited amount of time. So carpe diem, baby. Now, I went to a high school that hadn't been around long. It had only been around for a few years. But my guess is, Alex, is that something that you saw in your boarding Was your boarding school, boarding school old? I guess is a good question. Did it have, like, a bunch of these old kind of people that you had to, like, kind of look up to? Um, It was old, and there were, you know, there were various, you know, esteemed uh, alumni. But I don't – it was never to that extent of look at these men who were so great – um, but it, no, no, I wouldn't say it was, it was to that point. Yeah. Um, I will say, yeah. you know, when it comes to this lesson, I would worry that, and, and this kind of does come up in the movie that someone could take that carpe diem lesson in, in the very wrong direction. You know, if life is short, we, why, you know, it, if life is short, why you, know, you could almost have this sense of no responsibility. You know, instead of, oh, let's seize the day, it's like, I can do whatever the fuck I want because I'm yeah. word food anyway. So, and I think this is the beginning of where we see Mr. Keating, we, you know, he's a great teacher, but there might be some flaws in the things that he mm-hmm. is teaching. Yeah, I think that's a, a very good lesson that probably doesn't come across well enough until far later in in the the movie, and particularly... Yeah, he does a great job of pushing exactly that thought, the carpe diem. And I'd say um, Charlie, more than anyone, is really the emphasis of, eh, push it, fuck it, I'm going to do whatever I'm going to want to (laughs) do. But you have to have the restraint. And even though Keating mentions that after there are issues, he doesn't put that as a part of his lesson that, you know, he's not really teaching that aspect enough um, to tie it back. So, yeah. Speaking of Charlie... Was it me or do do Charlie and Knox look really alike? <laughs> they exactly. do it, exactly. It, actually, the same. it was actually distracting trying to remember who is who. I'm like, okay, which one is that? Let me hear who yep. we talked about, who we said. And they, I don't know why they chose two actors that looked so much alike. Dude, <laughs> I in my notes I had written down Charlie goes to uh, Chris's house and then but I kept going like oh wait fuck no that was Knox who liked her and then I had to go back and change my notes because I too I I couldn't tell the difference at times. <laughs> so, 
Uh, all right. After class, uh, most of the guys are just kind of like frazzled, if you will, about that lesson. It's just totally something that they've never seen before. The guys are going to do like a study group. Uh, Todd is going to be alone. Todd, we find, is just, he's a very um, introverted kind of person, also very kind of anxious kind of person. We see him, you know, writing C's on his paper. He's trying to, you know, he wants to connect with Mr. Keating's, you know, mentality, but it's something that he, he's going to have to reach for. You know, he he really does not like being put a spotlight on him. So uh, Knox is going to be going to a dinner with uh, this family, the Dansberries, which is another rich family that his family that his family knows. And we meet his love interest, uh, which is uh, the girlfriend of the son of the Dansberries, basically. At class, uh, they learn about poems greatness and a math math formula to figure out the greatness of poetry. Now, this is a bit only only just because, you know, no poetry book, even the most stick up the butt poetry book ever would have this as like a lesson, I feel. I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but you know, I, I was just like, really that that seems like a bit much. <laughs> but it was funny. It's really just they're emphasizing that even in poetry people are you know, they're thinking of it in a very two-dimensional way. So, and in a very opposite mentality of how to teach it, Keating has them rip that page out. He has them rip out the entire fucking, you know, introduction. And they're all hesitant because, of course, these kids are follow-the-rule kids and they're in this kind of spot. And, uh, yeah, but they all end up doing it, you know. So I've got a couple things about this scene. Um, first off, mm-hmm. holy cow, this is where <laughs> Robin Williams, I always forget, was such a hairy man. You see his hand, <laughs> and I mean, yeah. God rest his soul, yeah. but he must have been part bear or Bigfoot, my God. But during the scene when it was Charlie was contemplating ripping it out, ripping out the pages, did you see what he was drawing? Mm-mm. Okay, I hope you go back to it. I noticed, and I was like, oh my God, this is the first time I ever noticed it when I watched the movie. He was drawing boobs. He was drawing boobs on this piece of paper, but right before that is so fitting. It's so fitting. It really is, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I completely missed it. I'm very, yeah. I'm very curious if 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 anyone else has ever noticed this. So this is this is where I'm going to say something kind of controversial. Maybe this scene is iconic. You know, the ripping of the pages. Mm-hmm. But I, but this is an example of Mr. Keating not being as thoughtful i think as a teacher as we remember now i get that he wants students to think beyond graphs and norms and math ironically i already did math during you know earlier this but <laughs> but here's the thing i think a character like cameron you know the guy with the redhead stick up his butt he would actually understand poetry using this graphing method that's the way his mind thinks so by completely mm. dismissing one method of poetic analysis he is being nearly as close-minded as the dean and others teachers depicted in this movie by completely dismissing it and saying no it's wrong cameron becomes the villain how dare you take his side (laughs) (laughs) but you know what that's a really good point yeah Uh, a very good point because different people will learn in different ways and keating kind of tries to force kids to thinking his way and also he seems hyper focused on shocking these kids into his way of thinking, you know, and it's got to be this way, you know, it's it's his way or the highway and rip out those pages. I think that's a very, very thought out, well thought out point. So 
We do see uh, one of the other teachers notices this and kind of freaks out a bit. Of course, the thinks the students are going wild, but once Keating is there, he kind of backs off. But it's just it's setting a, setting up that other teachers do not approve of his methods. But Mr. McAllister, he's the Latin teacher. I kind of like him. He seems to be well balanced. He he has good rapport mm-hmm. with both sides, and so I think. I mm-hmm. I would not vilify him, but he is no. he is absolutely shocked. But he kind of backs yes. off and has a conversation later with Mr. Keating. Yeah, that's good. He's not like the headmaster. The headmaster is stuffy, but McAllister isn't. You know, he he exactly he does things his way. And I would say, you know, yeah, he maybe appreciates Keating in a little bit of his own right. In, that you can absolutely see in the end of the film when he waves. To Keating, you know, he kind of yeah. Waves I noticed that too. Yeah, you know, because he if if he was a asshole and didn't like him, he would look at him, turn away, and keep walking with the kids. But he kind of gives him a, you know, hi, you, you, goodbye. You'll be slightly missed, kind of thing. So yeah, you're right. He's not he's not the villain by any means. By the way, the uh, headmaster was actor named Norman Lloyd. His first uh, his first uh, credited thing was in 1939. Yeah. He just died in 2021 at the age of 106. Wow. Wow. Hell of a life. Yeah. That's very cool. At dinner, uh, Keating sits next to the other teacher. That sits next to McAllister, and they, you can tell they kind of disagree with the style. Um, the boys find Keating's yearbook, and it mentions that he was in this thing called the Dead Poet Society. So they ask him about it later in the yard, and he tells them that it was a secret group, a group who met in a cave, and there was guys sitting around reading poetry. Now, the way Keating wordsmiths it, they weren't reading poetry. It was dripping from our tongues like honey. Like, he is, you know, he it's it's what got the ladies. It's what got all the excitement on it. And that kind of, um, you know, yeah, that, that kind of vernacular is really uh, what gets the kids into it. They're all down. Neil goes head first, and he wants them to do it that night and he convinces the other students to do it so him and his friends uh well i do love i gotta throw out that knox knox who is hesitant uh charlie mentions he points out specifically you know what you know it's going to uh make ladies swoon and i was like what charlie they're gonna swoon why do they swoon <laughs> why do they swoon charlie tell me why they swoon because he's still he's a little uh lady crazy right now thanks to chris so Todd doesn't want to join them at all. You know, he also doesn't want to read his poem aloud because that's, you know, was seems like one of the um, things that needed to be happening in this meeting. Um, and he's just overall this very anxious kid. He, he either hates the public eye or anything like that. Super hyper introverted to that extent. Uh, but Neil pushes for him to join. You can see, I, I would say there's a lot, and I've seen this kind of either meme on other stuff, but like with a lot of introverted people, you know, it's it, they need like this kind of extroverted person to help kind of pull them out just a little bit. You know, it's it helps balance them out a little bit. So, and so Neil is is that person for Todd. Uh, Neil's about to head to the cave to the for the club start, and he notices a book on his table, and it's a poetry book left by Mr. Keating from the original group members. You know, obviously this is showing Keating is uh, approving of them doing this, and he can kind of he knows that they're going to go do this. So. He loves it. Um, so they go to the cave. And at first, it's kind of lax. They're trying to figure out, you know, how they're going to make this their own. They're doing some, like, either scary stories at one point. And uh, Charlie then pulls out a pinup girl poster and reads a poem off of that, 
which uh, is pretty nice as well. But they're just kind of getting things started with it with it going. I like the scene because I think they do a really good job of depicting what like high school boys are like because mm-hmm. the, the way they're snickering at the centerfold, the way they're like telling ghost stories, the way they're kind of bickering. High school students in today's media are are basically thirty year old adults, um, whereas <laughs> yeah. these guys they're immature. They don't know you know how to talk to women they don't know much about the world and i think they they do a pretty good job depicting that here yeah i would agree with that now there there weren't too many like hidden societies uh in my public school that i went to i would say in my college we had our little group of kind of friends um i actually have a little tattoo here dv rebels from my group of friends that I graduated with, one of my teachers that I will shout out with uh, to is uh, James Biddle, um, who was, has kind of had become a mentor. He was from college, not from high school. We actually had him on years ago. I was going to say, he's talked, been on the show, right? He has. When we talked to Big Trouble in Little China, he joined us for that, and uh, we talked to a show called The Master, which was a weird fucking uh, <laughs> like martial arts show. But um, I always appreciated him. There, I would say... Uh, Frau Wallace was a German teacher who I, I really liked as well, but uh, Professor Biddle was one who kind of really set my passion towards film and particularly post-production. Uh, we didn't have like a secret society, we didn't do any clubs, but these are some of my best friends uh, still to this date that we called ourselves the DV Rebels, which stands for Digital Video. Digital Video Rebels, um, a lot of us moved out to L.A. together. You know, I, it, it wasn't like a secret society, but it felt like a, you know, a close-knit group for my own. Now, did you guys have, you know, your own little, like, groups like your Dead Poet Societies? No. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Woo. All right. I was expecting to, like, have a nice little conversation, but all right, that's that. I flew under the radar <laughs> at every, in high school and college. I just kind of put my head down, did my work and got out of there. I mean, if you if you call band a secret society, then I guess, but no. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but I was also in a fight club. That doesn't count though, but that's different. We were dumb guys. All right, anyway. Uh all right. Um in class, uh Keating talks Shakespeare. Of course, if you're in a poetry class, you're going to talk Shakespeare in English class. Here's one little thing I noticed, uh, seemed pretty obvious to me. This movie is definitely set in the 50s. Um, They didn't, like, show, like, a date, but through the cars and through just, like, the soccer balls and everything like that, it was obviously the 50s. He does a – Mr. Keating does an impression of Marlon Brando, who had been an actor, of course, during that time. Think um, Streetcar Named Desire, etc. But he does it in the style of The Godfather. (laughs) <laughs> he does a Brando Godfather impression, which came out in 1972. <laughs> so a little, uh, that's, that was probably one of the improv lines. I, I think there was definitely some improv from Robin Williams, like you're going to get. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that was 72. This was the 50s. So he was a bit off. I, I'm just throwing that. I'm not saying anybody should hate the movie because of that. But <laughs> there is a, I noticed it. there is a lesson that he gives that I do love. The, he said, you know, don't use the word very. This is a lesson Mm -hmm. I still use today in writing. Um, Very works when speaking because of inflection. But if if I see the word very when I in anything I'm writing, I'm like, nope, change it, change it. I mean, it is. It it really is all about more impressive synonyms. And yeah, exactly. There is there are other words, better words than very good. You know, like Mm -hmm. no, there's there's other stuff to use. Um, But overall, like these kind of scenes are really to show his passion 
it's just oozing out of him. He's, he's trying to impart some of that passion onto these kids. And one of the things he's doing to try and to get his students to do free thinking is he stands on his desk and desk and talks about seeing the world in a new perspective, see a new angle, you know, and he has all the whole, the whole class to get up there and, and look upon the class in a new angle. And he strives for this. This is one of his major teaching moments as he's trying to get them to look at things differently. And that's exactly um, how that goes. Yeah. So he does that. And I do like the idea. I do like the idea of changing your perspective from time to time. You know, mm-hmm. as adults, yeah. we are in such routines and are so comfortable with that routine. But it's important to switch things, you know, from time to time, even as something as simple as, you know, sitting in a different seat at mealtimes. Yeah. Yeah. Just, Absolutely. Just, Wholeheartedly just change things up. Yeah. Uh, and he lets them all know at the end of this at this class that for homework, basically, or for like a, a project, they're going to have to write their own poem, and then they have to present it in class. And particularly even calls out Todd that it's going to be <laughs> terrible for him. He almost picks on Todd a bit. I feel like uh, if this was public school, Todd would have, his parents would have grounds to get Keating fired earlier <laughs> in, in the movie. At the dorm, uh, Neil wants to try out for a Midsummer Night's Dream. And he's excited. Uh, you know, he even throws out Carpe Diem. I want to do this. And John, weren't you? Were you not in a Midsummer Night's Dream at one point? No. Oh fuck! I thought I remembered you being in that play. Nope. Uh, well. I just enjoy. I just enjoyed reading it at the time. Okay, maybe that's it. <laughs> All right. I thought for some reason that because you did a you did a few plays. You acted a little bit when you were when you were younger. I did a few. None of them were Shakespeare. Okay, okay, anyway. All right, but Neil, very, very excited about this. Todd points out that his father, Neil's father, will kill him if he tries to play. I think that is a particularly uh, specific use of words. Just, you know, they're trying to set up tie-in with death early with Neil. Death, father, play, all those things. Like, these are going to be words that kind of come together to try and set up what's going to be happening later. Neil upset about all that, but you know what? He's still going to do it because he's, he's got the passion right now. He's going to push for it. Neil, vice versa, pushes Todd to try to open up. He's trying to get Todd to kind of, you know, bring out some of his own passion as he is right now super moved and, and been awoken, if you will, by Keating. Knocks bikes over to try and talk to Chris to see her. She is, of course, a cheerleader who's dating like, you know, the, the quarterback guy or whatnot in this public school. Um, who he doesn't like, but we're just setting up that he's he's wanting to go talk to her. He's he's trying to carpe diem her, if you will. So, all right. At the next class, Keating has them uh, say a poetry line and kick a soccer ball. I don't know. He's <laughs> this is kind of an interesting. There's a lot of soccer stuff. I don't understand all the ties to soccer, but either or, he is trying to push passion and I guess even like the physical side of stuff. You know, let your emotions push some of your physical side and and you know all of those are kind of tied in together um we find out neil got the role of puck in the play to kind of trick the school to get approval he is going to forge a letter of permission from his father he is now even kind of carpe diem carpe dieming uh lies and shit right now so he's (laughs) doing what he can so he can be in the play todd is struggling with his poem uh and then in class knox uh, writes one uh, about or reads one that he wrote about Chris and of course he's everyone is kind of mostly the main characters I would say between Todd Knox and Charlie like they're all 
pretty oh and neil of course they're all pretty like they're very set aside into their own things Knox is he's setting himself up for chris like that's that neil is kind of the wild card i don't know it seems to an extent um todd is the scared shy anxious one and neil is the the passionate leader right now but um Knox reads his keating goes to todd next who says he didn't do the project he his his anxiety pretty much got the best of him and he didn't doesn't want to do the project but he needs a little push from keating who wants him to yop <laughs> which is basically trying to get him to do a big battle cry a barbarian style battle cry and he pushes him to kind of basically do a poem on the spot now describe what you see uh, I, I closed my eyes yes uh, and this image floats beside me. Sweaty tooth madman. The sweaty tooth madman with a stare that pounds my brain. Oh, that's excellent. Now give him action. Make him do something. His hands reach out and choke me. That's wonderful. wonderful. And all the time he's mumbling. What's he mumbling? Uh, mumbling truth. Yeah, yeah. Truth like, like a blanket that always leaves your feet cold. Forget them, forget them. Stay with the blanket. Tell me about that blanket. You, 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 you push it, stretch it. It'll never be enough. You kick at it, beat it. It'll never cover any of us. From the moment we enter crying to, to the moment we leave dying, it'll just cover your face as you wail and cry and scream. And what is the most wonderful thing for me is the steady cam that they use in this shot. It's kind of a whirlwind. They're having the steady cam follow Keating and Todd as they're spinning around at the front of the classroom and the camera follows them. And this is the, this is definitely my favorite shot in the film because it's just every, the world is spinning around them as Keating is just kind of like causing all this. He's causing this madness for Todd, but it's to, is to distract him is to get everything else out of the world so Todd can focus and bring forth this bring forth this art and this poetry and by the end of it it's a beautiful little kind of poem that he throws out so but the shot itself I want to say obviously on Steadicam is it kind of or it might be on a on a dolly that they just kind of had as a ring around um the track might have been just been a ring that they did that's actually probably more likely um and they just had the camera following them but i think i think this is a wonderful shot see this is proof that i've been listening to this podcast maybe too long because in my notes i'm like this shot <laughs> i'm talking in, in <laughs> yeah. my notes i'm talking about you know the one shot from from um right after we see walt whitman to when they first laugh yeah that shot i all i could think about was how they must have done that and the intensity of the mm-hmm. scene and i'm like <laughs> Well, that's that's now how I watch movies. Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. No, it's a good. Gotta break it's it down actually, a little it's bit. It's actually a good thing. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The more I think about it, the more I'm certain that it was actually just a dolly on uh, a track that was a circular track, and they just kind of kept going around because it's a Steadicam person going that fast at one point would have had some trouble <laughs> probably so. to run into things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it was it was wonderfully wonderfully done. Then we get some. Soccer time next. Uh, the guys are playing soccer together. I guess Keaton's. I'm assuming it's part of the lesson somehow. But we just see really more almost montagey um, where they're doing that. They lift Keating up, and I only kind of remember this shot is kind of funny because it was used in like the posters and used in like I think maybe even the DVD cover. But it's like them lifting up Mr. Keaton and Keating and whatnot. So, all right, we cut to the cave. All the boys are smoking pipes. As they do. I think it's kind of funny. I don't know. Kind of humorous to me of like, you know, those those times when you tried the adult things, 
before you're probably supposed to try the adult things. And I thought right. this this scene was kind of reminiscent of that. It reminded me of the first time I tried a cigar. Uh, yeah. Which I think was in high school. It wasn't until after I was 18, but I'm pretty sure it was in high school. A bunch of us were sitting around and tried yeah. it. And that, it's one of those weird things where you're like, oh, even though I knew kids had been smoking cigarettes for years at that point. Mm-hmm. But it's just one of those weird things you do with a group of friends. And it's like, okay, now we're doing adult things. And of course, <laughs> nobody knows how to do it right. So everyone <laughs> inhales and everyone chokes to death. Yeah. Charlie, though, uh, at the in the cave, he performs a little beat poetry. Totally some different style. And he has his saxophone with him. And he does this whole little performance. It's kind of good. I like it, actually. Laughing, crying, tumbling, mumbling. Got to do more. Got to be more. Chaos screaming, chaos dreaming. Got to do more. Got to be more. Knox is pushed by the guys to go after Chris, so he gives her a call. Again, carpe diem, you got to do it. And he gets invited to a party uh, at Chet's place, uh, her boyfriend's place. But you know what? It's still a sign that you know she wants to see him, so he is all for this. He's excited. We notice. Well, we do notice that uh, Keating's unusual teachings are, again, just continuously they're getting attention from the more uptight members of the staff, things like that. Um, Keating teaches and pushes against conformity, which I do find, I only find that interesting because I'd feel at a boarding school they would push for conformity, and the headmaster obviously does. He loves conformity, um, where Keating is the exact opposite of that. Uh, That night, Neil talks to Todd. Uh, It's apparently Todd's birthday. And what did his parents get him? A fucking desk set. Who knew those could be oh a gift? I, <laughs> was that a gift thing? I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, in the 50s. Lame. Yeah, so. so lame. But, you know, he he, he gets it like every year, basically. <laughs> um, he can tell you can also just tell from Todd. He, he feels that he is either looked down upon. He's overshadowed by his brother who you know, he, I've never felt that way, but, but he does. Um, <laughs> love you, John. You just said that out of spite. <laughs> I 100% said that to get a rise out of you. But yeah, he feels that he's been overshadowed and that his parents either hate him or don't like him the way that they love, you know, the, the older brother. Um, but Neil helps him kind of get out of that funk by chucking the fucking death set, by making it fly, but doing it in a very kind of, you know, dramatic, that's a poetic way throwing it over the bridge i think i think the line at the end of that scene was absolutely hysterical well i wouldn't worry you'll get another one next year (laughs) he was like don't worry you'll just get another one next year yeah yes exactly (laughs) i was that was really good so i want to go back to the the marching you know the conformity the conforming uh scene Mm -hmm. the marching scene another iconic scene but once again Mm -hmm. I feel like the lesson he's teaching work doesn't quite work with this demonstration. And here's why. If you have three people walking in line together, at, and, and, if, and if they're walking in their, at their own pace, they're going to trip over themselves. They're going to get hurt. Having your own beliefs and opinions is important, but there are times when conforming to the norm is beneficial. For example, um, my son is currently seven, and he loves to use his imagination while playing. He's one of those kids who he could be by himself in his own world, um, and we encourage that. But I've had to tell him, you know, from time to time at recess, 
go play with the other kids. Play what they're playing. Kind of play the same way so that you can insert yourself into that group. So then once you're in there, now you can start sharing your opinions. And, you know, it's not that you're discarding them, but sometimes you do need to fit into a group so that you can survive. Narc. Yep. You said, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I was like, say, sounds like somebody uh, who went to military school. No, no, no. Absolutely. You're dead on. Because you know yeah. what I, I want to think about and, and, and how I'm going to tie it into, I guess, my own thought process here? Legos. Legos are fun in two different ways. The best. One way is you follow the directions and you build exactly what you're supposed to build and you see it and you feel it completed and it looks awesome. Nothing shut us up. John and I have have had this discussion before. Nothing shut us up more as kids than putting a Lego set in front of us with directions and we would just, boom, we got hyper-focused that we just wanted to build it exactly how it was supposed to. And then the other way Legos are best is let your imagination run wild. But it is having both of those in tandem in one, you know, kind of set that makes it be the best. That I mean, that mm-hmm. that's completely true. Again, with my son, I've got a table right right here in the basement where, for Christmas, Santa has brought him a whole bunch of just blocks. You know, it's just it, there are no no mm-hmm. instructions, just tons of blocks. But he also has a whole bunch of kits, and we have made sure that from time to time we get out a kit, and he knows how to put it together. You know, you learn how to do it, and then when you start doing your imagination, you have new skills. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I I think uh, that's the thing. Uh, this is, we're kind of going off on Lego talk here. Is building the sets gives you skills to use in your imagination because now you've built something and you've seen how something could be built, and you can say, "Oh, well, now I can do this, but let me take a variation on it. Maybe I can change it." I also spent many many years as an instructor in marching band, so conformity was necessary yeah. for that to work. Yeah, but I mean, it's 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 with any art, it literally, okay, you, you learn any of that kind of stuff and you try to replicate the masters, you try to replicate things and you learn the fundamentals because the fundamentals are what will eventually teach you how to branch out on your own. But if you don't know them, you know, if you just start breaking the rules from the beginning, you're not going to be set off into, you know, uh, uh, you're not going to be as skilled or you're not going to be you know be able to create your stuff to its highest potential without knowing the rules first before you break them that kind of thing sure so yeah so yes keating is a shitty teacher that's one thing alex let us know. <laughs> that is that is what i've been saying this entire time yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, at the next Dead Poet Society meeting, Charlie, who is also quite a bit of a horn dog, uh, brings some ladies with him. Where does he get them? I don't know. Who knows? But <laughs> he brings some hotties to the meeting, and he decides to change his name to Nawanda, and uh, he flirts with the girls and all this kind of stuff. We get some intercutting here between that scene and Knox going to the party uh, with. Chris and all those kind of jocks and the public school kids um, who just, you know, are big partiers. He wants to spend time with her, but she's obviously got her boyfriend and whatnot. He gets end up ends up getting roped in to drinking with these dudes and he gets trashed here. Some might call it rape. <laughs> Maybe not rapes, not not in this point, but some might call it, uh, uh, you know, not the right time for carpe diem. But he sees a passed out 
Chris, and he uses it to kind of pet her hair and kiss her on the forehead. And that is not the right time for Carpe Diem, I would say. I was very distracted. Definitely okay. non-consensual. Yeah. I was very distracted by her breathing because she was supposed to be passed out, but she was like breathing heavily and fast. I was like, what? What's going on? <laughs> I didn't notice that, but that is interesting that you picked up on that. But the guys, her, like a friend of hers notices that Knox is uh, doing that and Chet finds out and Chet beats the shit out of him at the party for her. Did you know that uh, originally Chet had a sister? Oh, okay. And she was I like, did not know. She had a part, and that part was played by uh, Laura Flynn Boyle. Oh, in okay. fact, in the credit, in the end credits, they say her name, but she was essentially cut out of the movie, and she was told the day of the premiere that she was cut out of the movie and not to come to the premiere. Oh, I was wondering about that because I kept on seeing her name. I'm like, I have not seen. Yeah. I have not seen her anywhere. Ooh, I mean, I'm. It wasn't. It wasn't necessary. I would right. say, unless she was trying to be another love interest or something, I, but... I don't know what the context was for her character. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Charlie lets all of the other uh, guys know that he put an article into the school newspaper on behalf of the Dead Poet Society, and basically, it is to push for women to be allowed in the school. He's just, again, he's just being a... He's a little extra. He's a little, you know, non-reserved, dog carpe diem kind of guy. Uh, he does that the next day. The stuffy administration is pissed. They do not find it humorous. They do not like it. Charlie, I think he has balls the size of cantaloupes uh, because, <laughs> <laughs> because he could have just shut up. But he instead takes a phone call. Uh, now, he must have had a long phone wire right? because he was <laughs> in the middle of the auditorium. Welton Academy. Hello. Yes, he is. Just a moment. Mr. Nolan, it's for you. It's God. He says we should have girls at Welton. <laughs> and uh, basically, it just it, it says, oh, it's God. Uh, you know, he wants women to be here at uh, uh, Welton. Uh, he basically admits that, you know, it was him uh, who, <laughs> who did that. And his punishment? Paddling. He gets paddled. Now, I... We never we went to public school. They didn't really do that kind of stuff. Now, John and I have mentioned we got switched, uh, which is similar enough to paddling, but it's with a little branch um, at our daycare a little bit. I got switched once. Uh, John, you might have gotten switched once. Nope, I never did. Oh, okay. I got I got switched once. But, Adam, I did see paddling at my school. Oh, at Cumming Elementary? Yes. Only my first year in kindergarten. Um, okay. I do remember uh, our teacher did have a paddle, and I remember I just remember there was one kid who was constantly getting paddled. Okay, um, but yeah, she would take him out out of the room and paddle him out there, and I I I still kind of remember like the sound of him wailing as she was oh, doing God. it. <laughs> Whoo! Oh, that's disturbing. Now, did they do that any of that kind of stuff, uh, Mr. Boarding School Man? Alex? No, no, not at all. Um, anytime we got in trouble, we we had to do what we were what were called tours, which was 30 minutes of marching. Okay. Yeah, I think that is a far more humane and make <laughs> a valid uh, form of um, punishment, yeah. if I would say so myself. So, all right. Apparently, Charlie is supposed to turn everyone in from the Dead Poet Society and at first, they're kind of worried, will he do it? But I love, you know, Neil asks him as he kind of, they walk him back to his as his room, and he turns to Neil and says, Damn it, Neil. The name is Nwanda. 
the name is Nawanda, which I, I think it was wonderful. Just kind of really emphasizes that Charlie is loyal to the guys. He's not going to crack under the pressure mm-hmm. from the admin. So the headmaster talks to Keating about his unorthodox teaching methods. And it just further emphasizes that Keating has fundamental different beliefs than the old headmaster. But as Alex, you've really kind of pushed, you know, the headmaster thinks, you know, no, now is not the time to teach them free thinking. Let them go to, we trying to get them to, our mission is to get them to a good school, get them to a good college. When they get to a good college, it's up for them to figure that out, but that's not what we do here. Um, now, there is some validity to both sides, which mm-hmm. the film doesn't make you think about that. The film wants you to follow Keating all the way. Right. Which I I get because in a film setting, sometimes it's not that easy to put gray area in. Sometimes you have to have yep. like a black and white in order for it to be easy for the audience to follow. So I understand that. But yeah, also, as a teacher, there is a time for both. There's absolutely a time for both. I mean, yeah, you wouldn't, as a music teacher, John, you wouldn't want all the students to just say, hey, we're going to do some free thinking music tonight. Uh, just play however you feel. If, no, you follow the sheet I, music. You have to follow the rules to an extent. This ain't jazz class. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, so there there is validity on both sides. But, um, yeah, I, I, you kind of realize that a lot later uh, as you kind of get older and you kind of really kind of dissect the film. And that's why... Everyone needs to be listening to podcasts like the Blast from Our Past podcast where we dissect these films and we're gonna we're making them you know we're we're we're, we're <laughs> gonna make you we're gonna make you think <laughs> yeah we're gonna make you think till you move sorry but yes um, all right Keating uh, goes to Charlie and the boys basically here he's he's he kind of implores them to calm things down a little bit you know he he's trying to emphasize like there's a time for pushing against the man and there's a time for falling in the line again we never saw that from him before it would have you know it would have been nice for him to teach a little bit more of that um, but ultimately he turns to them at the end and says charlie's kind of worried like oh wait you know didn't didn't you approve of our message and or didn't you think it was daring phone call from god if it had been collect that would have been daring <laughs> <laughs> as he kind of walks out he mentions well if that phone call from god was uh, if it had been collect that would have been daring <laughs> it kind of shows that you know what he does approve of what the kids are doing right now mm-hmm. uh, so. he, he can't take an official stance you know he can't mm-hmm. did he give neil the the poetry book absolutely he did but mm-hmm. he would never technically admit to it probably sure sure so all right now uh, neil gets to his room and his father is there Furious about the play, he found out that Neil uh, was in it because someone that the family knows, their daughter or whatnot, is in it, and so he wants him to quit. He wants, uh, but the he wants him to quit the play. But the performance, the first performance, is tomorrow night, and he ends up forcing Neil to tell him that he will quit. Then Neil has to go to Keating for advice, and you know Keating wants him to stand by his own convictions, to show passion to his father, to try and tell his father, you know, hey. I, I care about this stuff, but right now Neil feels trapped. He feels incredibly trapped, you know, in his world, and he has to fit into this box that his father um, has created for him. Meanwhile, Knox goes to Chris's school in a, an all-out say-anything style moment here. Um, he goes <laughs> to her school, brings her flowers, and reads her a poem. Um, she doesn't, except at first, 
And so he says, fuck it. I'm going to carpe diem my way into the classroom and uh, read uh, my poem. He recites his poem to her for her there. We don't really see any reaction to it. We cut back to him telling the guys about it. We find out that, you know what? He said it and he's just happy that he did it. And you know what? I like that lesson because it, it doesn't particularly matter. You know, it does matter, you know, if she liked it or not. If she doesn't like it, then he would step away and that should be the fact. But the fact that he went out and tried and he gave it his all, um, I do respect that aspect at least. Hmm. Yeah, it's that, that first step can often be difficult. And yeah, he he yeah. he manned up and he, he did a great job. <laughs> I do think it would have been a little bit more realistic if she said, get the fuck away from me, nerd. I don't want to talk to you again. And that was the end of it. And he was heartbroken, but happy he still did it. That's a little bit more, I think, in reality than her kind of ending up being swooned. She was actually swooned by it, but we'll get to that. (laughs) All right. uh, Let's see. Neil and Keating talk some more. Neil mentions that he talked to his father, that he... Um, apparently told him about his passions and that he is going to allow him to stay in the play. I don't think he actually talked to his father at all right here. No. And I don't, no. I don't think Keating buys it either. I think he has this look of worry on his face that he's, he's not going to say, no, are, are you telling me the truth? He's going to give Neil the benefit of the doubt, but mm-hmm. there's a look on his face that says, I'm very worried that this did not actually happen. Yeah, absolutely. They're all about to go to the play. Uh, the guys, the Poet Society guys are about to go to the play to see Neil. And then Chris shows up at uh, at their school and Knox goes to talk to her. She says she wants him to stop, but he's still persistent. He tells her he loves her. Come on. <laughs> um, <laughs> I get it. I mean, high school hormones, but still, yeah. like. He tells her he loves her. <laughs> no. <laughs> they spent one it's... evening, you know, at dinner together with you know, her family and he yeah. he kissed her on the forehead while she was passed out and he tells right. her that he loves her. Okay. <laughs> he is a like, he's a, I think he's like a junior, supposed to be a junior, maybe senior, I think probably junior um in high school. Sometimes at that time Boner equals love, Alex. That's just how it goes. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. He gets a little, he's a little too into it, but he's persistent and he just wants one chance. And she ends up agreeing to go to the play with him. And this is the one chance he's got. Um, but we can also kind of tell she's, they play it up that she kind of giggles and, you know, flirts back a little bit that she actually does kind of like him. Yeah. And she is so. too, she's super cute. She really yeah. is. Oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. He can so. love her. <laughs> he can love her. He can love her. But you're right. It is a bit, it's a bit unrealistic and cheesy. So, true. All right. Uh, they go to the play. Neil does a fantastic job as Puck. Neil, while he's even acting, he notices his father comes in to watch. And meanwhile, during the play, Knox goes for the handhold. And it goes well. So, all right. He's kind of, he's wooing her over. Um, Neil does his final lines. And here for a moment, I feel like they did they did a good job of making the audience think that Neil was getting to his father. It, it seemed like, you know what? Maybe his father gets it now as he's kind of delivering the last lines of the play. That is until 
the play ends and his father drags him right the fuck out of there. Mm-hmm. And basically he is, you know, warns Keating to stay away from his son. And he's just, he's done with it. He's not having it. His parents talk to him. Uh, they tell him that they're going to withdraw him from Welton and they're going to put him in military school, that he's going to go to Harvard. He's going to become a doctor. And ultimately, Neil is trapped. Do you get the sense that Neil's mother, she's that trope of that dutiful housewife who does whatever she's told and most likely drinks heavily and smokes heavily just to dull her senses? I might get hit, possibly. I wrote this scene... It made me feel so terrible for both Neil and his mother. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No. Yeah, ab- I absolutely got um, that vibe for sure. That night, Neil dramatically kind of goes through, you know, he, he sees his puck crown and kind of puts it on at one point. He ends up going to his father's desk, gets his father's gun, and kills himself. I think there was a moment there, you know, we don't hear the shot. I was just about to call that. I think that is a very interesting, you know, and and specific thing done by the by the filmmakers. And I love that. I was wondering, are are they trying to, again, give us a little bit of hope that maybe he's just going to be sitting there and ready to confront or. But obviously, that's not what happened. But, you know, for a first Mm -hmm. time for the first person, you know, first time you're seeing it. Do you have a moment of, well, did he do it? Maybe he didn't do it. I don't know. But obviously, yeah, he find you know his father finds him, and it's a very, very sad scene. It is. It's an intense scene. I, I do what I, I want to dive just a little bit more. I find that as an editing choice, particularly interesting because in I would say nine out of ten films, you would hear the gunshot, and that's what would wake the father. Mm-hmm. But instead, we kind of cut from him holding the gun to. His father waking up and he is reacting to the sound, but we didn't hear a sound. Mm. So you're absolutely, it is giving something like, wait a minute, did that happen? I'm not sure that happened. And then we get confirmation. But I thought that was particularly unique and interesting the way that they didn't have the actual sound in there. So um, very well put pointing that out. But yes, his father and mother, his father finds him, you know, they're distraught, obviously finds him behind the desk. And uh, then the, Dead Poet Society boys wake up Todd. Charlie wakes up Todd, and the guys are there. They tell him about Neil's death, and Todd takes it terrible. He, you know, he at one point he's running off into the snow, unleashing his emotions, just screaming about it. Keating goes and pulls out Neil's poetry book, the one that he gave Neil for the Dead Poet Society, and he kind of opens up to that first page and reads the inscription that uh, a previous student had wrote from earlier, I think. It says, this must be read at the opening of every meeting. I went to the woods because I wanted to live deliberately. I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life to put to rest all that was not life and not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived and Keating weeps. And I think this is, um, I mean, this, this is an intense scene right here. I've never really had to deal with someone that I've known that I've been close to mm-hmm. um, with suicide and, and obviously Keating, you know, feeling emotionally attached to them. And, you know, obviously this little bit speaking specifically about, you know, wanting to live and, and seizing the day. And now Neil can't do that ever again. He can't do that period. 
Um, so this is just intense drama. Um, I'd say maybe even particularly, and I was going to mention a little bit later, but particularly knowing how Robin Williams ended his own life and things like that. And suicide being a little bit harder on this kind of film and, and obviously a little bit more socially aware as we are in 2022 compared to 1989. Uh, I think, yeah, the scene just, it just hits. So the school has a memorial service and the headmaster intends to conduct an inquiry into the matter. Uh, there's a quick dead poet society meeting, like in, in an attic or something. And Charlie can immediately tell that Cameron uh, must have he was late to the meeting he must have talked to administration and we find out that's exactly what he did and they're going to be blaming Mr. Keaton on everything Charlie even kind of brings up that they need a scapegoat and they thought he thought that the Dead Poet Society was going to be the scapegoat Mr. Keating will be the scapegoat Cameron dives in fully into I'm not sure if like the administration helped convince him or if he just didn't have that connection because we never saw that connection with Keating in the first place too much between the two of them and so he he's ready to say uh fuck Keating I'm just gonna you know let him go down and you know whatever it is to keep me going is fine so Charlie punches Cameron and he advised that they all need to fall in line like he did uh, we then get the scene of the headmasters questioning each of them from the Dead Poets Society. Charlie ends up getting expelled. We find out it's Todd's turn to go in there, and we kind of follow in him. Follow him in there. His parents are there. The headmaster lays out this document, basically completely putting the blame onto Keating, and he just needs to sign it. And we notice that Todd or Todd sees everyone else of the other guys had signed it, and obviously Todd does as well. So, uh, but there's a lot of pressure that they're put on, you know, and these are high school kids. Um, we then get to our last scene of the film, which is also probably the most iconic scene of the entire film. The headmaster will be taking over um, as teacher for them. Mr. Keating comes in to get his personal things because he's obviously just been fired. I do like how the headmaster is wanting to go over what is poetry. And he wants to go over that, the exact like intro that Keating had them rip it out. And so they have to explain that there's, you know, they don't have the intro there. It's just another little way to show Keating's style is the exact opposite of what the headmaster and what kind of the quote unquote norm, if you will, or the, you know, the, um, the administration are wanting to, to have students conform to. So as Keating, as Keating leaves, Todd tries to explain. He tries to apologize, uh, but Keating's got to go. He's been fired. Then music swells. Todd gets. Todd is the first one onto his desk, and he says, "Oh, Captain, my Captain." Oh, Captain, my Captain. Sit down, Mr. Anderson. You hear me? Sit down. Sit down. This is your final warning, Anderson. How dare you? Do you hear me? Oh, Captain, my captain. Mr. Overstreet, I warn you. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. All of you. I want you seated. Sit down. Leave, Mr. Keating. And then Knox follows, and then Pitts follows, and then other students follows. About half the students. I actually love, love that it wasn't the entire class. Mm-hmm. 
it was only about half because I felt that just that just seemed a little bit more real that there were a few students who would just fit into the conformity and there were also the other few students that he really did get to there was actually another kind of like student who seemed kind of dumb kind of jockish who didn't even really do well with the poetry earlier but he ends up standing up and it's just like wow these are people that Keating got to yeah, and you know this the standing scene always gives gives me chills and most oh, yeah. people chills. But who is the blonde kid with glasses? Who yeah, they actually de- I, I, the they dedicate reaction. a shot. To, I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> this entire kid, like they have this wide wide angle close up shot of him like struggling. I mean, is he gonna stand up? Is it? And then he does, and it's like, well, who the fuck are you? <laughs> yeah. That's a good call. Yeah, the, I mean the other guy, the jock who you know the cat sat on the mat and he barely kicks. Yeah, he. Yeah. he it's nice to see he got he was moved even though he didn't seem to be into it. But seriously, this blonde kid, I don't know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was weird. But overall, yes, this was an intense moment, and I can tell you, even at this part, I don't know what it has been like. Man, the last like probably six months, I, maybe I've been a little bit more emotional or something but some movies have been dramatic movies that have hit me a little bit harder and i was like even getting a little bit teary-eyed mm-hmm. at this point so and maybe that tied in with just robin williams in general and all this kind of stuff um but yeah it was hitting me really hard and that is the end of the film I gotta say though the the, the final shot of todd is literally just be- below someone's crotch yeah. <laughs> I, I know this is a dramatic scene and i'm, I, I'm sorry I'm making light of it but it, it's just it's like you see this crotch and right below it is is Todd. That is called framing. And it might have been uh, specific. I don't know. Maybe they were telling us something. I'm sure it was. <laughs> so, all right. That is the end of our movie. John, we're going to start with you, then go to me. And then, Alex, you will end things about your final thoughts of rewatching Dead Poets Society. Uh, I had a good time with this uh, film. There were some parts in the middle where I felt like it was kind of running a little slow, maybe some things I didn't necessarily need. But uh, in the end, the parts that hit hard hit really hard, and that was the important stuff. And uh, it was good to go back and revisit this one again. Yeah, um, I would actually yeah, agree. There was um, there were some scenes that just felt, okay, a little bit redundant. We get it. He wants us to be free-thinking. You're really pushing that even more than I need it. I, I, I've gotten it by now. And so you probably could cut out like a good uh, at least five minutes from the movie, probably ten minutes of the movie, and it would still have the same effect on me. But either or, doesn't really matter. I do think this film is wonderful, absolutely fantastic. I appreciate it now. Far more than I did when I first saw it. Like we talked about, I, I saw it when I was way too young to really understand all of the aspects. And really, like, you know, suicide. It, I was I was young enough that, like, suicide didn't mean anything to me. Like, I didn't really get all that kind of stuff. But now I understand this film a lot more. Um, I remember watching it probably two years ago. And it was a wonderful film then. And so, like, rewatching it again, yeah. Like, this is... And being an artistic person, going into an artistic field... I can connect with Keating. I can connect with the love of passion, free thought, um, art, all that kind of stuff. So I really, really appreciate this one, and I'm really glad I got to rewatch it. So this was a great call. Um, and I want to throw out, if anyone hasn't seen it in a while, do it. Rent it on Amazon Prime or you know, rent it from your library if you can or whatnot. I think it, uh, you know, if it's one that might have spoke to you when you're younger, 
I think you'll probably get much more out of it watching it when you're older. I think this is a great film to rewatch when you're older. Yeah, I, I still love this film. I mean, I know I'm a little harsh on on his his teaching method, but you know that's <laughs> we we watch movies different as adults as and as parents. Um, but it's it's a great film. Uh, I think the acting the the. I mean, they were young, and those those guys did an amazing job just selling everything that they were doing. The music is wonderful. I love um, you. You hear you hear that 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 bagpipe music, and you know you can you mm-hmm. are taken back, especially to that last scene. I was mm-hmm. actually surprised that this movie was not very well received by critics. So, like Robert uh, Ebert gave it like he 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 was not a big fan, but I don't care. I think it's a wonderful movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got so many great lessons, and uh, and it's it. Robin Williams was absolutely fantastic. And uh, I guess now let's move on to <laughs> something totally different, a little bit more lighthearted. Absolutely. <laughs> Now we're going to talk Captain N, the Game Master. This show ran from 1989 to 1991. Three seasons, 34 episodes on NBC. Uh, It was produced by Dick Animation. Uh, We have talked about them before because we've discussed things like Mask, Inspector Gadget, Real Ghostbusters, Dino Saucers. Um, They've done a lot of different stuff from your past that you would probably recognize and love. So Captain N and the Game Master... Alex, I'm going to start with you, and then John, I want to go to you, because I think this was actually was on our list of things to talk about. Mm-hmm. This is not a show I really remember at all, so I'm kind of curious. You know, Tell me about your nostalgic value for Captain N. So I, I remember watching Captain N when it was airing, because uh, it's you know, 89, 90. This was a Saturday morning staple. I remember sitting down waiting for Captain N. Uh, I remember waiting for it to, you know, and I, I remember absolutely just loving it. Uh, I wasn't an, I wasn't a video game kid. I didn't even have a Nintendo at the time, um, but I just remember watching it. And then later in college, I remember finding the DVDs and watching them again. I'm like, oh my gosh, this existed. Uh, it is definitely a show that I watched. I cannot remember um, whether it was like scheduled viewing for me or if I watched it every Saturday morning or if I watched it later. I, I want to say I probably watched it around the time it was coming out. I, it was one of those shows that I always had a, a memory of it existing and having small memories of like parts about it, but not being able to remember enough to tell you any specific episode or any overarching plot ideas or anything like that. I just remember it was a show that I watched. Um, I remember he was able to pause time with his belt and that he had the the end, the end gun. And yeah. That was mostly zapper. what I remembered. The zap, yeah, Nintendo zapper. Uh, and as I mentioned, I have remember hearing about the show or like I remember the name of the show, but it wasn't one that I really watched or I don't remember watching too much of it. Uh, so this is in all intents and purposes, the first time I'm really kind of checking it out. So let's talk our cast. Captain N uh, was voiced by Matt Hill. Uh, he was Ed in Ed, Ed, and Eddie, one of the Eds in Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Uh, he was on Street Sharks. John, we talked about him then. He was Raphael in the third Teenage Ninja Turtles movie, as well as the Next Mutation show. 
King Hippo and other characters were voiced by Gary Chalk, who I will forever adore because he is Optimus Primal in Beast Wars. The Eggplant Wizard. Where the fuck did that come from? Was Eggplant Wizard an actual Nintendo character? Because King Hippo, I get he was in Punch-Out!, who the fuck is the eggplant wizard? I think he was. He was either a Kid Icarus villain or like Burger Time uh, or something like that. Okay, Kid Icarus is one I never played, so um, maybe, yeah, sure. Yes, just a quick look. It says Eggplant Wizard was an antagonist from the Kid Icarus series. And eggplants are disgusting, so I think it makes sense that he's a villain. So. I totally agree. <laughs> I'm not a fan of eggplants. So uh, he is voiced by Michael Donovan, um, who had done things like Reboot, Street Fighter, uh, some Dragon Ball, uh, and also King Arthur and the Knights of Justice. So um, their narrator of the show was Doc Harris, who actually did some episodes of Camp Candy, uh, one that we talked about way back. And also he was also the narrator for the show Dragon Ball Z. Mm. So for my other Dragon Ball Z fans, I definitely remember his voice as the narrator on that show. So that was kind of a nice thing to hear him and be like, oh, shit, I know that narrator voice. Dr. Wiley was voiced by Ian James Corlett. Uh, he was Cheetor in uh, Beast Wars. He was also on Reboot. Um, he was Goku in Dragon Ball Z for a very small period of time. Mother Brain was a voice that I immediately recognized <laughs> uh, because that was uh, Levi Stubb. And I recognized him. I was like, oh, shit, that's Audrey 2. Uh, Levi Stubb voiced Audrey 2 yeah. in Little Shop of Horrors. And it's there was no change in the voice. It was the exact same <laughs> style. It won't be long before I, beautiful goddess that I am, become queen of any old land. <laughs> and then Game Boy, I'm going to call out the an actual live Game Boy that would help them. It came apart a little bit later in the show, wasn't in the early episodes. Um, was voiced by the man, the myth, the legend, Frank Welker, has come back to the show. We haven't talked about him in a while. Yeah. And I think so, I think was, I think they re, uh, introduced him later because the Game Boy was released in 1989. Yeah, that makes sense. So it was probably yeah, probably season two when he made his debut. And uh, the character of Captain N first appeared in Nintendo Power magazine. So it wasn't originally created for the show, but they kind of adapted it a little storyline that they had and Mother Brain as well uh, into from the Nintendo Power magazine into the show. So. I'm going to read just straight off of Wikipedia, a little breakdown of what the show is. So a kid gets uh, warped into Videoland, and this kid, Kevin, um, is meant to help restore order and free Videoland. In most episodes, the uh, end team's enemy is a group of video game villains, usually led by the boisterous and loud Mother Brain, who is accompanied by her minions, the Eggplant Wizard and Thuggish King Hippo and the scheming Dr. Wily. Uh, a villain of the week is featured in some episodes when a particular video game comes to setting. So basically they are having classic cartoon adventures throughout different video games and things like that. Uh, the show itself uh, was honestly and not honestly, obviously a way to sell more video games and a way to sell Nintendo con <laughs> consoles. This was, this was just, I mean like, like most shows of the time was just a way to sell shit. Mm -hmm. Now, so, uh, I'll say the animation was mediocre to less than mediocre for most of it, from what I, at least from what I watched on this. Um, at the time, maybe it was okay, but now it just feels. Yeah. You didn't watch great. season. You didn't watch season three, did you? No, I dear, watched season one and two. Oh dear God! Well, I'll, 
well, yeah, season three. Well, no, yeah, tell me about it. All right, so Captain <laughs> N had a third season where it was actually, I think it was paired with the Super Mario World show, which was based on uh-huh. Super Mario World from Super Nintendo. And both shows were awful. I actually watched them with my son recently on Tubi, and I thought, I thought that every, you know, everything that I liked about the original, both Mario Brothers show and Captain N, had disappeared. The animation was terrible. The stories were dumb, and the yeah. characters were, they were terrible. So, yeah, yeah. Third season, yeah. Thank terrible. You. Okay, I'm not sure seasons one or two were much better. <laughs> but but that's me. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, and I would say a big detriment to the show is it didn't really have a theme song. Welcome to Video Land. Wake up, Kid Icarus. Welcome to Castle <laughs> It's Congo Land. intro was just a spoken word kind of setup for the show and they would show this kind of live action kid getting whoa warped into video land and if it it really needed a badass theme song um that is something that i can tell helped a lot of shows back in the day but unfortunately this one didn't have it uh i ended up watching two episodes one i watched the first episode and then i watched one from season two that did feature game boy and fuck, it was tough for me to pick, to, to click on episode, that second episode to watch, because I don't think this held up. I did not think it was really very good. I didn't think the um, the voice acting wasn't even, it was fine. Now, Motherboard, Motherboard is Motherboard, like, you know, or Mother Brain, I'm sorry, Mother Brain. Um, like, it's just the same kind of over-the-top Audrey 2 voice. The plots were terrible. The acting was rough. Mega Man's voice really bothered me. If Kid Icarus trusts you, I trust you. Partly because I had seen the Mega Man cartoon from the 90s where Mega Man has a normal voice. And in this one, he had a very gruff voice. It was like a like a like one of those little munchkins who smoked um, from from back in uh, um, Wizard of Oz. But I, I, I had trouble with this show. So try to save it, Alex. Like, why is this show worth watching? I never said it was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, essentially, you're watching a you're watching a third, you know, twenty minute commercial, and it, as a kid, you know, watching it as a kid, I I liked it because you know, video games were everything. I didn't like I said I didn't have a Nintendo, but this is where I was introduced to a lot of the characters, um, which 
a lot of people, you know, people who who did watch the show, they they hated what they did to Simon Belmont. They made him a buffoon. Kid Icarus was annoying as hell. I, you know, I chose this not because it's a great one, but because it, it was very much in nostalgia. And honestly, one of the main reasons I chose this was for the casting. I was like, I want to do an NCU. Let's do at least do some sort okay. of let's do some sort of tie-in. I imagine there are people out there who remember this show and possibly fondly don't go back to watch it because then <laughs> you won't remember it fondly. There are some episodes that I still remember that like really kind of stood out. Um, there was one where he uh, worked with Link. Mm-hmm. There yeah, were, there, I, I actually I watched that one. Which yeah, I mean that's one. It's one of the more popular. There's the, the kind of like yeah. the the season two finale where he you know Kevin gets a virus and it's all about family and and whatnot. And there's a nightmare one, but yeah, the episodes aren't the show itself weren't amazing. They really aren't that good because again, yeah, they were trying to sell something. It was it was something I just I remember loving as a kid because then you would go play Captain N at the playground and pretend you know you would grab an, a Nintendo a zapper and a power pad mm-hmm. and pretend you were him. I mean, it was I mean, it's a cool idea that the zapper could do something. Um, you had a basically the controller was on his belt buckle, and you're right, John. You would pause every now and then, or he might hit one of the buttons and move very quickly from one section to another. That's a cool idea. Which I never understood why he didn't do that more often, because that made him totally overpowered. Yeah. Because, because, and <laughs> because very often it'd be like, oh, I'm out of power. So, yeah. you know, oh, I... <laughs> yep. The, the power exactly. the power pack worked based on conven- plot convenience. <laughs> True. So, John, you know, what, what are you, what is your, what are your thoughts on some of this? I watched one episode and I uh, I could not make myself go to the next one. It was so bad. And I remember like maybe a year ago actually going back and trying to rewatch this show and having the exact same reaction because mm-hmm. I went and watched the same one again and I'm like, "Oh, no. It didn't the third viewing is not any better. It's it definitely should just stay in the past." Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, you know what? Let's uh, quickly move on to the far <laughs> more interesting part, which is uh, an NCU casting. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... When you get hold of the Nintendo Entertainment System. When you master Rob the Video Robot. And meet the challenge of Gyromite. When you shoot the light-sensing Zapper. When you play the system with so many arcade hits. You're playing with power. The Nintendo Entertainment System Deluxe Set. Batteries not included. Super Mario Brothers and other games sold separately. All right. And now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As we previously mentioned, we are going to cast a Nintendo Cinematic Universe uh, using a few characters, not touching uh, the Mario ones, which actually we've already done. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, Alex supplied us with another list of characters. We're going to do Link, Zelda, Ganon, Sam is it Samus or Samus? Samus, I think. Yeah, that's how I've always pronounced it. Simon Belmont, Mega Man, and Captain Falcon. And I'm not gonna lie, at least two or three of these, I had no idea who they were, <laughs> and I had to look up. Uh, mostly because I never played any of these games. Uh, so if you played, did you play Smash Bros? 
No. Nope. Okay, I did. I, I There was a time when I worked at FBE, Smash Bros. was a big thing where a lot of us would kind of go into a, you know into our break room and play Smash Bros. together. And I would also I would play as either Link or as Little Mac. And those were my two characters. And Little Mac sucked because his recovery was terrible, but he hit like a beast. And so I loved that. I loved to just run around and punch people hard. Um, and then Link was one who I actually won a little bit more often with. So, But you see pretty much all of these characters other than Simon Belmont. I was never a Castlevania guy, never played mm-hmm. it. So I did have to look into him to do my casting a little bit. Um, well, let's start with Captain Falcon. And uh, Alex, who the hell is Captain Falcon? <laughs> You know, I, Captain Falcon, he was the hero of, or the one of the drivers of F-Zero, which was a driving game. And yeah. I mean, he, he actually became more popular because, you know, more well-known because of the Smash Brothers franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I guess in, in my view of the Nintendo cinematic universe, I decided that my Captain Falcon um, needed to be able to fight. I'm thinking a little bit more Fast and Furious. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start us off, which is me. It's funny me saying that because I've actually to this day never seen a Fast and Furious movie. Okay, uh, but I just looked up a picture of him and he looked pretty bulky, so I went with a guy who uh, is doing that pretty well right now, and his name is Alan Richson. Oh, I thought you were gonna go Vin Diesel because you mentioned uh, the Fast and Furious. Nope. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, he was recently in the TV show Reacher. He's done a few other things. He was also in um, what's his name? Alan Richson. Richson, yeah. Uh, he was also in the Titans TV oh. show uh, for a while. Uh, he, he was, was Aquaman in no Aquaman in um, Smallville. Hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, so, he, he uh, was Raphael in the Michael Bay Teenage Ninja Turtles. Okay, yeah. He's a he's a big old dude. Yeah, he's built like a linebacker. Thought it would work well. Yeah. Big oh yeah, he was in a but uh, Blue Mountain State. Is that was that the show? Yeah, I remember I that. Yeah, that was a kind of a silly show. <laughs> that was good. Well, it wasn't good. It was a show. <laughs> but yeah, I, it existed. Adam, he, <laughs> he is playing Jack Reacher in the was it Amazon Prime show Reacher. Yes. That, okay. I, yeah. I yeah, did yeah, say yeah. that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very, do you, do you, if you said that, I'm sorry. I missed it. It's okay. Yep. Okay. I, Adam, who was your Captain Falcon? I know nothing about Captain Falcon. He's he is bulky and he is he's a captain and he flies shit. And so my initial thought was Henry Cavill because he's big and bulky. He looks great. I think he would be a good call. But ultimately, I ended with someone who is a little less bulky, but I think gives the vibes of like a captain. And I think he would look really good in all that suit. I went with Chris Pine as my Captain Falcon. I could see that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I can see that. I don't know enough about the character how to have too much of an opinion on a lot of this. I, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not sure. Yeah, what his um, exact his his mannerisms are, but I'm sure Chris Pine would be fine. Uh, all right, Alex. Yeah. So Captain Falcon, he doesn't seem like he has much personality. I actually only know him from Smash Brothers. He's just a big, strong guy who drives cars. So I went with an actor who has played a big, strong guy on both the big screen and on television. It's funny you mentioned Henry Cavill because my actor was Superman and in Superman Returns and played Kingdom Come Superman in the Arrowverse. I went with Brandon Routh. Oh, okay. Yeah. I like I, I like that. Brandon Routh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I actually like him best because of – he was, wasn't was he on uh, – was he on – Am I crazy? Scott Pilgrim versus the world? 
Yeah, he was yeah. the vegan guy. That's right. He was the vegan guy. Yeah, and that's by far <laughs> – I loved him in that role because, I don't know, it just felt meta and it felt, you know, like he had a good sense of humor because he kind of got – he he ate shit for a while after the Superman Returns movie. But I still – yeah, I think he was solid. So that's good. Chicken Parmesan isn't vegan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Mega Man. Uh, I'm just going to keep our same order. Okay. For my own sanity. Uh, I'm not going to lie. This is the one I had the hardest time casting, yeah. and I honestly don't even really like my pick because um, I think I went way too young. Well, that, I had the same trouble because Mega Man, he's a man, but every iteration I see him, he looks boyish. And so yes. I ended up going young as well. Same. Okay. Um, okay. So I, uh, I went with uh, an actor who I actually haven't really seen, and he's actually only done two movies, but uh, he the first movie he ever did was a project with uh, with Ryan Reynolds. In fact, he played the young version of Ryan Reynolds <laughs> in The Atom Project, okay. uh, and he's going to be playing the new Percy Jackson in the new Percy Jackson film series. Uh, his name is Walker Scoble. He's a young kid. He's like... 13. Uh, he's like 12, oh, 13 years I, old. Yeah, younger than I went, for sure. I Yeah, I would... I don't know. I, I like that he was cast as Percy Jackson because he's going to get some action stuff. He obviously has some uh, respect from Disney uh, to put mm-hmm. some money behind him. So, uh, interesting. That is interesting call. Okay. I'm all for, I'll, I'm all for that. I'll, I'll, I'll take interesting. Sure. <laughs> all right, Adam. Um, yeah, I had trouble with this one as well. Same as you. I ended up going to an actor who is, I think he's a, he's 23, so he's a decade older than your guy, but he, he plays young. Uh, he went to, he plays on a show that I love, which is The Goldbergs, which is just a, an ABC comedy. He's never done action, so I'm not sure how well he would do, but I have the feeling, I like him as an actor, um, and, you know, if he doesn't wear glasses, he can... I think I think he can fit into the Mega Man vibe. I went with Sean Giambrone uh, as my Mega Man. He's from the Goldbergs. He's the main the main kid in the Goldbergs. He's yeah. the main guy. Okay, I that's fine. I mean, honestly, he looks a lot like the kid I picked. <laughs> just older. He's just, uh, he's, he's <laughs> yeah, just older. you know what? You're not wrong. He kind of does. By the way, Adam, I've, I've now caught up with the Goldbergs because you talk uh, about it so much, and I finally started watching nice. it. Well, I, I, for a nostalgia file, it's a solid show, right? It it sure was. It, yes, you're right. You're right. Oh my god, you're right. It was until like the last like two seasons have been oh not good. <laughs> you're, oh man, dead on. That's perfect. Perfect. Perfect phrasing. All right. Alex? So, um, so yeah, I pictured Mega Man as a kid. Um, at least that's how I remember him. So I went with a child actor who I actually haven't seen much of his stuff, but. From the clips I saw from Dora the Explorer, I think he'd make a good fit. My Mega Man is Malachi Barton, who played Diego, I believe. All right. Mm, that's got to be – the first pick that comes up is got to be oh, he's way a, yeah. too I – mean, Yeah, his, his... – he's, he's only a couple years older yeah, than the two, guy. Yeah, so you guys both went way yeah. young, and that's totally fine. Okay. Sure. I never watched – yeah, the Dora stuff, but he's been in actually decent amount of credits for – um, between TV shows and stuff, so yeah, he was in Under Wraps too, Adam. Hey, there's no way that's good. Uh, Under Wraps one is the way to go. <laughs> you 
You want to watch that one again, John? I, I, should that be the fir- over my dead that could be the body. first movie that we like review twice because it's that good. I will not be on that episode. <laughs> um, I mean, I his credits are impressive for his age for sure. So I will say props for basically just that. So sure. So let's go to Simon Belmont. I was actually excited to cast this one, and I really like my choice. I did not <clears throat> follow uh, the look that I kind of saw on pictures because a lot of these guys are all just like generic white guys. So I changed it up. Um, I still like the idea of him. Is it's it's he's like fighting vampires, right? Am I am I wrong yeah, on that? But like when I look at the pictures from like the from the um from everything on like the internet, it looks nothing like the actual character from Captain N. Oh, Captain N, they did him dirty. He yeah. was a buffoon. <laughs> he is a buffoon. So I'm changing mine up a little bit, and my Castlevania is going to take place in India, and oh. the vampires are going to be Indian. Um, and I picked a guy who I f- saw on Miss Marvel. He had a short part. He was only in a couple episodes. Um, but going back, this guy has a storied career in Bollywood. He is a very, very big name, uh, and his name is Fawad Khan. And his main picture is him clean-shaven, but he had long hair and a beard in Miss Marvel, and that's the look I'd want uh, for my Simon Belmont. Uh, Yeah, okay. I- I'll trust you on this. No idea. Okay. All so. right, Adam? Um, I, I immediately thought because of Captain N, Nathan Fillion, if you guys know Nathan Fillion from Dr. Horrible Sing Along blog, I thought that was like a perfect fit because he was a buffoon. And then I actually like, Adam, you're the only person in the world who immediately goes to Dr. Horrible's when they think Nathan Fillion. Uh, That's the first thing I think of. Dr. Nobody, everyone else goes to Firefly. But I love Dr. Horrible Sing Along blog. I know you do, but you're the only person I know who immediately goes to that. Anyway, I did kind of also change it up. You know, he was like, I guess, a very big buff blonde in uh, the cartoon and also the game. Um, but I kind of suck. It's not that much, much different because my actor has substituted for a buff blonde before. And he his kind of like. I don't know, whip and stuff that I saw from the pictures when I looked up Simon Belmont, I thought would fit very well for this actor. He's a big action dude, and I think he'd fit perfectly in a big action fight vampire kind of thing. I went with Jason Momoa as my Simon Belmont. Okay, I'm I'm laughing because I like that call. Yeah, he'd do great. He, I mean, fuck, I think he could, I mean, obviously, I'd love to see Jason Momoa fighting a shit ton of vampires. Like, yeah. let him lead his own movie. I think that'd be great. Yeah. I could see that. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm fine with that. All right, Alex. Yeah, so Simon, we need we just need a badass, and I don't need to hype him up because uh, we all know how much you both love this, uh, you know, this actor, uh, Adam, especially. So um, I wanted someone, you know, I wanted to give him a franchise that doesn't do him wrong, like the MCU did. My Simon, my Simon Belmont is Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, I mean, cool. well, he he wasn't done wrong, you know, he just died early he was fundamentally kind of not wrong yeah he was, he was <laughs> <laughs> you're right as the villain i was kind of like well you're not 
you're not a, you're not wrong. I kind of want to root for you. So yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I'm all. Yeah, we. Duh, that's a great call. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Fine with that. Fuck yeah. Uh, all right, Samus, Samus Aron or Aron. I'm not sure how to say it. I think it was you know it was a big deal when people beat Metroid and found out that Samus was a woman. Yeah. I which I didn't find out until years later, but also I never played Metroid. So yep, same, but yeah. Um, but that's cool. Uh, I went uh, with an actress. She's in her th- late thirties now, but I don't think that really matters. And I went through a few different um, people before I settled on this actress. Speaking of Fast and Furious, she has been in at least one uh, Fast and Furious movie. But for me, it's her performance as Miho in Sin City that made her so badass. I went with Devin Aoki who is actually the half-sister of DJ Stephen Aoki, or Steve Aoki. Oh, nice. Yeah. I kind I kind of remember. Yeah, I remember her from Fast, Too Fast, Too Furious. That was, like, one of the few Fast and Furious. I've seen the first, like, two or three of those films. Yeah, she is a badass. Yeah, she's in uh, Dead or Alive. Yeah, she's quite a bit of, like, little action-y stuff as well. So She's, yeah. she's done a lot of, uh, of action uh-huh. stuff. Yeah, I'm cool For with sure. that. Cool. All right, Adam. Um, I stuck with now. Granted, um, literally all of the actors or the females in this are are just kind of like tall blondes. Um, but I, I stuck to it. I kind of did a little bit one to one. And even though I have issues with her portrayal in the MCU, I just don't. Not that I have issues with her portrayal. I just don't think I can't. I give a shit about her character. I think she she has the look that I want for my Samus. And, and she is a really strong actress, so I'm hoping maybe this can redeem her a little bit because I was not a big fan of Captain Marvel, but I do think Brie Larson is a good actress, so I'm going to I put her as my Samus. I saw I saw someone else's like fan casting of Samus. And it was Brie Larson. I think it fits. I it think really it fits. Fits. I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. I my first name I wrote down was Natalie Dormer, who I honestly think Natalie Dormer should be Captain Marvel more than Brie Larson. I think Natalie Dormer is perfect for that role, but they went with Brie Larson instead. In my perfect world, Natalie Dormer <laughs> is Captain Marvel. Brie Larson is my Samus. So okay, <laughs> awesome. and Alex. Um, when I pictured a Metroid movie, I see it kind of as an action and horror movie, just because of it. Mm. I think all the villains are just like. I think Mother Brain, that's already pretty horror. So I wanted someone who was familiar with kind of both genres. Uh, my actress has done some great work in horror movies, such as um, Ready or Not and The Babysitter. And I think she's a dead ringer for Samus. I'm going with Samara Weaving. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's a good call. I like yeah. that. That's good. She's I like that, too. Dead ringer. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, Ganon. Alex, who the fuck is Ganon? <laughs> Ganon was the main villain in uh, Legend of Zelda. Yeah, we ne- neither of us have played a single nope. Zelda game. Nope. I played Ocarina of Time, and he was a huge character there. And yeah. they they eventually put him on into Smash Brothers too. Yeah. Now, what do you know? Is there a difference between Ganon or Ganondorf? Because in Super Smash Brothers, I know Ganondorf. I, you know, maybe I, I don't know the difference. Um, I, I know a little bit about his backstory. I think he was. He there's in in I think in Hyrule there's this tribe or you know this people who's all women and every once in a while a man gets born and and, and it and it was in the in this case Ganon and 
he eventually okay. tries to take over the world as okay. villains such such villains do yeah <laughs> naturally yeah so when i was looking at his photo like there were a bunch of different photos that showed up and the characters looked vastly different so i just made the decision that either it was just going to be heavily makeup or possibly cg and i just needed a, a vocal either way i just based my entire thing on the voice you need uh you need a villain with a good villain voice you can't do much worse than clancy brown so that's who i went with oh okay all right fair i mean for an all cg basic yeah i'm i'm, I'm cool with that for the voice absolutely yeah Yep, yep, yep. I mean, and he even, even, uh, I know he's getting up there, but, uh, I know in Mandalorian, was it season two? When yeah, he, he does show the, up. He played the, uh, I forget what the name of the, the species is, but it's the devil horn looking yeah. guys. And he was there in makeup, so I mean, he's still doing it. Mm-hmm. So I figured it would work. Nice. Adam? I mean, I'd never say no to Clancy Brown. Yeah. Yeah, true. Um, I did. Kind of think, you know, someone who would probably because they don't, John, they don't cast for just the voice anymore. Even even our fucking Mario has a regular goddamn Chris Pat, Pratt voice and not a nice actual Mario voice. So nothing matters anymore. This world has gone to shit when it comes to casting. But I do think my guy has a solid voice. I do think he would do fine with the, um, uh, actual like you know mocap if as if you will uh, that mm-hmm. he'll need to because he's done it before in things like cats yes i casted someone from the movie cats um but also he is our heimdall um i did see him on some other people's castings but i didn't care i actually was kind of leaning his that way anyway i went with idris elba as my ganon cool with that very nice yep for sure not nothing negative to say there so all right alex yeah, I imagine Gavin, Ganon would be heavily CG'd, much like uh, Thanos, but I still wanted a formidable actor who can act, who can do stunts and action sequences. Uh, my wife and I love his character in the show Outlander. Uh, my Ganon is Sam Hugan, or Hogan from Outlander. I've, John, you said your, life, your wife is a big Outlander fan, right? Uh, she did watch it, yes. And okay. I, I, did, I did sort of watch a few episodes with her. He's the main, like the main guy, isn't he? Yes, he's Jamie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I I think I'm fine with that. Oh wow! I don't, I don't, been, I don't remember him enough of the show really to. It's been to on for a while. I didn't realize it's been on since 2014 and still been going. Yeah. Yeah. It's been going a while. Yeah. I'm I mean, fine always, with that. Yeah, he, he. I haven't seen him play villain, but I think he could do it. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. Zelda. So Zelda, um, I had a few people go through my head, but um, I came up. I decided on this one actress because I, I don't think I've uh, I've never used her. I don't think on anything before, and even though she's not on the show anymore because of the time jump, I really loved her performance in House of Dragons. I went with Millie Alcock. You know what? I really liked her, and I'm really sad that um, she's not on the show anymore. You know, yeah. I, I I agree. I really liked her performance as well, and I wanted to see more of her. And I'm not to say I dislike uh, the actress who's playing what Rhaenyra's right now, mm-hmm. but I or Rhaenyra, sorry, um, but I did I did like her performance enough to where like you know what, damn it, I wish they would have drawn that out. I'm not loving the time skip stuff, right? I do like House of Dragon right now, 
but I because I want to I want to sit with some of these characters, but I, I get it. Like right. this time period wasn't as fast craziness like Game of Thrones time period, like Ice right. Song of Ice and Dragon or Song of Ice and Fire. So I don't know, but yeah, I I, I think she's awesome, and I want to see her in more stuff. So it's a great call. I saw I someone I, photoshopped her as Spider Gwen, and I thought that was like uh, the perfect look. Yeah. So I, I, haven't, cool. I haven't seen that show yet, but um, looking at just some of the images, she looks fantastic. She would be amazing as as Zelda. She yeah. definitely's got a really good look. Mm-hmm. And is Zelda kind of elfin? She, yeah, she's got pointed. I could totally yeah. see her with like pointed elf ears. Absolutely, see her as yeah. elf style. Yep, so. I think that's a wonderful call. All mm-hmm. right, who did you pick, Adam? Uh, I picked. It's funny. I actually I typed up as i do with a lot of my castings i kind of like figure out the generic look and then i will kind of wean down from there so i typed into google blonde actresses under 30 and so i found like a list of blonde actresses under 30 and i saw this actress and i was like oh yes you're perfect i wrote her name down and then when i was looking over um some other fan castings later every person put her as their zelda and i was like damn it i'm not i wasn't original (laughs) with this but you know what before I saw other people do it, I don't care because she does look great for it. I went with Elle Fanning as my Zelda. I think she okay. just looks perfect for the role. She definitely has that sort of elfin look. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She would do very well. I mean, she's she's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's And she's been getting a lot of, I think, praise for a lot of stuff she's done lately. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm all for it. Cool. All right, Alex. Um, so yeah, Zelda was the character I struggled with the most. Um, truthfully, I think there is a, also there is a great casting out there, which I thought most of the internet for me when I did the search, the internet was saying uh, Anya Taylor Joy um, oh, okay. would have would have been a great choice, and I, I agree. But as, to the point about um, all the all the characters are tall, skinny, blondes, I was like, well, let me let me change this. Um, sure. So Zelda needs to be both ethereal and fierce, and I finally found someone who I was kind of happy with. I'm not super super stoked, but I liked her. Uh, actually, after watching Hocus Pocus two um, for Zelda, I'm I'm using Whitney Peak, who was in Hocus Pocus two, Gossip Girls, and um, some Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Okay, okay, I like her look. Yeah, exactly. I, I think um, when you say ethereal, I think of something specific, and she fits in that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that tall, thin, ethereal kind of style. I have actively not watched Hocus Pocus 2 yet, but I'm, I will because I liked it, unlike John, who is a terrible human being yeah. and hates the first Hocus Pocus. That was horrible. John, I will say this: I, I we we've watched I've watched both recently. Hocus Pocus two, the story, you know, it, it's much. I think it's better than the first. Oh, and it's still not going to get me to watch it, but I appreciate it. And it's not, and it's not better because it's more of the same. Okay. Okay. You know what? Uh, what I also like about your pick uh, here is that uh, all the internet bros are going to go crazy, and uh, I'm all for that because fuck them. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I think she's got a great look for it. So all down. Uh, okay, so now we're on to Link. Um, I'll be honest, this is the one I had the second hardest time casting. I'm not entirely sure about my pick because I'm pretty sure I went with a guy who's a little bit too old, really, to be playing Link. And in actuality, my very first pick was a pick out of spite, and it was mostly to get a rise out of Adam because I knew he was going to hate it. Taylor Swift? No. (laughs) Worse. 
because I could I could not I could not come up with a Bieber. Good, I couldn't I couldn't come up with a good look. And I'm like, I need somebody who looks elfin. And I couldn't come up with and then I saw this guy and I'm like, he kinda has the elfin look, but he's getting shit on for his acting right now. I almost went with Harry Styles. <laughs> oh. Really, he really is getting panned for his acting in these in oh. those movies. Which I I haven't noticed. What are people ripping on him for? There was this whole deal with whatever the movie was that he's got with Florence Pugh came out. The one that um, oh don't don't worry, don't worry. darling. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, and like there is it's been this whole debacle that I haven't wanted to find out about. I've just been the information has been forced upon me. Uh huh. So I was originally going to go with him, but I did not go with him. He he does have a like a you know yeah elf look to him for sure. He does. He has an elfin look. Yeah. So if his acting could catch up, you know, maybe. Um, but I ended up going uh, to, over to Rings of Power because there are already elves there. And so <laughs> uh, I, I, I was literally a one-to-one. This guy, uh, he's about 30 right now, but we'll try and age him down. I went with Robert Amario, uh, Aramayo, uh, who's playing the young Elrond. Oh, okay. He does look elfish. His it, It's weird. His head is too square. I, I don't like it. The, what what bothers a lot of people is the fact that he has short hair. Yeah, because Elrond had very long long yeah. hair in the movie. So like, why would he have short hair? He his his he has a box head. He does have a boxy head, and it does not look <laughs> like Hugo Weaving. Not that this no. is ne- this is necessarily meant but, to be. But you're right. Hell, uh, Hugo Weaving was long and like yeah, very elven. Like you know, mm-hmm. yeah, he has a he has he has a box. Box head, box face. I don't dislike his performance. Right. I don't think he. Yeah, he does not look like Elrond. Right. I agree. But but, but yeah. like the stuff with him and and Durin, I'm loving that stuff. Yes, that all is the good. dwarf is good stuff, stuff. Even with even with Elrond and dwarf, all that stuff yeah. is is awesome. Um, I'm loving. Is it a Rondir? The the wife? No the the uh the other elf, um the black elf. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, he saw it. I, I I'm liking that guy. My, I'm I'm still a couple episodes behind, but every episode has gotten a little bit better for me, and so I'm excited. I'm still two episodes back, and I would say the fourth episode that I just wa- that I watched actually just last night was like for me by far the best episode. So I'm like, fuck yeah! I'm excited to see um, what happens in the it's, next two. It's it's pro- it's progressing nicely. I will cool. I will say because I'm already I'm already on. We already watched number seven. Number seven. That just came out. I was a little tired when we watched it, so I actually probably gonna have to watch it again because I think I missed a lot. Uh-huh. Um, but I think I think actually maybe five or six might five. be my favorite so far. Actually, five. Yeah, maybe it was five that I just watched. Whatever it was, it was mm-hmm. the one where the in the in the um, it was where Elrond was talking to Durin, and they 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 discover they talk about Mithril. Right. That he they drop the um, you know, uh, and other stuff happens. But anyway, solid solid episode, and I'm excited. Yeah. I'm very very excited. From oh yeah no you meant tonight the new episode is yeah seven or anyway well it's Friday it comes out on Fridays so it comes out on Friday yeah I wasn't paying attention anyway yeah. I think the show is solid I'm excited about it and okay. he is a fine actor okay hopefully he would do well all right yeah. Adam who is your link all right the first person I thought about was I'm surprised someone that you didn't mention Taron Egerton I think he'd be a perfect link but mm. ultimately I thought no I've cast him in like seven bajillion things i'm not going to cast him again though i do think he would be a good elf and a good lead instead i went with somebody who i kind of saw while i was doing research from other fan castings 
And he does, I think, have an elfish look. And I actually quite liked him as Elvis in the recent movie. Mm. I think Austin Butler would be a good link. Okay. He's played a half elf before. Oh, has he? It, yeah, he w- it was a uh, it was a series called the Shannara series uh, or Shannara Chronicles. Oh, yeah. That was on that was on MTV. On M- yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was a he was a half elf. Okay. So yeah, so boom, he, perfect. So he's, he's done the ears, he's done the all of that. So yeah. I'm that, looking at the yeah. I I just won the casting. Thank you. You let me know. <laughs> I just won. Cool. All right, cool. All right, Alex, take us home. Sure. So I wanted to cast someone young who has experience with some combat. I also needed someone who would make a good elf-like character. Now, originally, I had uh, uh, Zolo Meriduno or Duna. Oh, yeah. I love him. Um, But it's a strange way I was thinking. I saw that he's going to be the the, um, going to be Blue Beetle in the DC. And I was like, you know what? He's got his own franchise. I'm going to give it to someone else. Um, <laughs> so I went to a different Cobra Kai actor. My link is uh, Tanner Buchanan. That's another actor John and I have both used yep. multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, we both like him. I, I, I'm a big Cobra Kai fan. I yep. just recently finished uh, the most recent season, season five. And I, I want to see more of him. I legitimately want to see more of Tanner Buchanan because I think with a lot of some of the dramatic stuff, he does a really great job good looking kid i could see him as a future like you know big star so i think it's a great call cool awesome uh all right alex thank you so much uh for uh joining us again and for uh, suggesting um some these wonderful and sometimes not so wonderful properties (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i think in this case the good way far outweighed the bad it was um, it was worth watching a little bit of Captain N to get through and get to see yeah. uh, uh, Dead Poet Society again. Yeah, and even just casting some of the Nintendo characters was fun because that's yeah. probably not something we would have done otherwise. Agreed. So that was fun to to stretch there. So uh, thank you again, and that was our casting of Nintendo Cinematic Universe. Please join us next week as John and I get our new medal on. That's right. We are going to talk the Limp Biscuit album, $3 bill, y'all. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la.